Hello and welcome to another podcast in the series of In Conversation with the National Trading Standards Estate and Letting Agency team. Conversation today is with James Monroe. Hi, James. How are you doing? Hi, Nick. Um, I'm the head of the, uh, the team and uh, it's great to be here today. Excellent. Thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it, as always. Today's conversation is going to be about communication in in the world of property um, and communication very much a subject close to my heart um, and I can see um, it being quite an issue in the property industry uh, the redress schemes constantly report back that communication is the number one complaint that they receive the the, the latest TPO uh, annual report that I've seen um, Complaints are on the rise, uh, communication and record keeping um, consistently top of the list of the issues that, um, that people are complaining about. Um, so let's, let's explore between us um, where the difficulties lie and where we may be getting it wrong. And I'm imagining most of our conversations gonna be around clarity, transparency, timeliness but let's explore um, a few typical scenarios and um, let's just see let's see what's 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 likely to trip us up uh, and let, let's start with um, that, that first kind of introduction that that a, a consumer might have with the property industry be it an estate agent or a letting agent that introduction I'm walking in I'm pretty new to this I want to sell a house. I want to rent my house. I want. I want to. I want to rent someone else's house. How should that conversation go? Well, that's a good question, Nick. And I think because I've been thinking about this, we we talk to industry um, a lot about some of the things that they need to do, some of the uh, compliance issues and the, the requirements under law, and all of these kind of things that they need to do or or don't need to, or shouldn't be doing. Um, but nobody ever talks to businesses that much about how that should be done. And this is essentially, I think, the, the root of all the issues um, about communication. That's why we're talking here today, because I think it's all very well saying to people, you've got to display something. Um, but, but when do you display it? How do you display it? Where do you display it? And in what format? And, and it, all of these things are, are, are essential. And this is what I think causes a lot of the problems. So that first meeting, yeah, this this is the opportunity for for an agent to to really uh, find out how they the client wants to be dealt with. The, uh, the, the agents know all the things that they need to do. They, they're, they're well aware of all that thing, that those those requirements. But I think this is really important at this stage to find out how that client would like to be communicated with, for example, because some people uh, are happy with uh, speaking over the phone, some people are happy with emails, some people want to communicate via messenger or, or via WhatsApp, or um, there's still a lot of people um, who actually like to write a letter and receive a, a, a proper letter. I think that's the first thing is, is, uh, is, is to find out exactly how people want to be communicated with in what form. That makes perfect sense. I think that addressing um, your audience and the needs of your audience 
um, at a very early stage, certainly uh, clears, the, clears the ground for great communication to, to follow. One of the things that, that I struggle with in all things property, just like every other industry, has its own, has its own language. Right? And the, the, the property industry is, is filled with um, abbreviations, which for me are a bit of trip hazards, really. These, these hurdles that um, if you're not in the know, each abbreviation needs explaining. Um, to, to, to just go with a few, right? CPUTRs, EPCs, uh, MEs. What, what are people likely to um, fall foul of here? Do we, do we have to painstakingly stop and explain each one in turn? Or is there a, a more general way we can talk with our, with our, with our clients? You're right, Nick, and, and these kind of things can be very confusing uh, for people. Yeah, I, I think it depends, again, on, on, on the clients uh, and on, on your target audience, perhaps, when you're marketing a property, because um, EPCs have been around for a long time. Uh, a lot of people know that that stands for an energy performance certificate, but even if they don't know, they probably know what it's for. They probably know why it's there. And I think once something's been around for a long time, then it's then it's it's quite acceptable probably to refer to it by an acronym. For example, an MOT for a car. Um, it stands for the Ministry of Transport, which which is long gone, but everybody knows it's an annual test for a vehicle. Um, I don't think we're quite there yet with some of the uh, the acronyms used in the in the property industry, but. Yeah, you've got to be you. You've just got to be careful that that when you're referring to acronyms, that that you either explain them or or you 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 tell people exactly what these these particular things are referring to. Okay, I think that 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 makes sense. I I might need telling more than once. I I would imagine, but I I think there's some some clarity in there that um, without being careful, you can you can just assume that someone knows something. And um, yeah, if, if that person doesn't, doesn't have the courage at that point to say, I really don't know what that means, can you stop and, and tell me? Um, then yeah, I guess you could, you could tie yourselves up in a few knots. What, one of these similar areas, um, so if you were, if you were purchasing um, a property, uh, question marks over, over leasehold, common hold, managed freehold. Now I, I, I've bought houses in the past, not sure I fully understand each of those. And, and I, I believe that if you are selling a property, you need to then perhaps speak to the lease administrator, the common hold association or, or the freehold manager. This for me gets, gets quite complex. Um, is it complex or am I kind of looking at it from a, uh, yeah, too naively? No, I think it is complex, Nick. I think, um, when it comes to the tenure of a property, if 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 a, if a property is freehold, then generally speaking, that's quite straightforward. People understand that uh, it, it, it's it's where the property is owned outright by the by the purchaser. If it's not freehold, then as you say, it's going to be one of the other um, one of the other terms like freehold, uh, so like leasehold or, or or a managed leasehold or a common hold. Um, and this is where the problems arise, because if something is leasehold, then 
people need to know that there are a number of other things that, that are going to apply to that property. So yes, you'll still be able to, to buy the property, you'll still be able to move in there, you'll still be able to live in there uh, as if it was any other, any other home. But of course, um, there will be other things like ground rents and service charges and maintenance of um, shared facilities, for example. And these arrangements can be very difficult to find out information about at an early stage. But these kind of things, this information is vital for people because we only move house, what, eight times or something, I think, on average in our lifetime. And if you buy a leasehold property, well, chances are you don't really understand what you're letting yourself in for. You might understand the concept of leasehold, but, but you need to know exactly what it's going to entail in terms of the ground rent and service charges. And not just how much those are, but, but also the fact that they're going to increase and how often are they going to increase? And where are we in that schedule of, or that timeline of, of increasing charges? Because it's been going on for a while that the ground rent might've got to a quite a considerable amount and it might be doubling um, the year after you move in. So it's really important to get that right. Yeah, I think there's, there's some, some real red flags if, um, if that communication isn't clear and, uh, and transparent at that, at that stage. Unless, of course, you, you're very, very used to um, how leasehold works. I think the audio might have, um, might have tripped us up a little bit there, but it does sound like anything other than a very straightforward purchase stroke uh, rental, clear, transparent communication. I think is a real, real focus. And similarly with um, with terms of business, right? um, I, I fully understand terms of business um, usually will, will, will be presented by long lists of terms and conditions, and we get very easy into the habit, click in, I accept, right? um, without reading, okay? And if we're gonna, some of the, biggest purchases we'll ever make I would assume we need to read all of the terms and conditions terms of business so they need to be written in plain legible language um, but some of the things that I think might trip someone like me up um, if I was working with an estate agent sole agency and sole selling rights what is that are they the same or is there a difference and um, I've come across a ready willing and able contract Sounds like something you'd put on a dating site, um, but what what is a ready, willing, and able contract? Yeah, well, again, good questions. The uh, this is this you're right. These these kind of agreements need to be um, understood by people who are signing up for them, and yet it is really difficult because, on the other hand, they are quite often very long. Um, you're presented with them at a time when you naturally want to, to get moving, you want to progress forward. We've all ticked that box, as you say, we're acceptable conditions because I want to move on. I want to get to the next stage. I haven't got time to read all of these things. But, but it is really important to read them, especially when it comes to uh, contracts. Um, and it's important that agents explain these contracts to, to their clients because you want the clients to understand because the clients need to understand what they're letting themselves in for and what the implications are of the contract. 
But equally, as, as an agent, you want your clients to understand because it's all about communication. It's all about communication, communicating effectively. And if they understand what the implications are, then that will hopefully reduce the need for any surprises or any complications further on down the line. Uh, if somebody finds something out which they weren't aware of or it's taken them by surprise a little bit. So it's really important to highlight these particular points. And as you say, um, there is a difference between sole agency and sole selling rights. Um, and very often you're signing up for a, uh, a period of time with that agent. And depending on the type of contract that will, uh, that may restrict you from um, selling your property with another agent or, or, or by yourself. Well, it may not restrict you, but it, but it may, may require you to pay a fee to the agent regardless of whether it's sold. The point about ready, ready willing and able purchaser as it is quite often in these contracts is because there has to be a point in 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 the in the process where the agent becomes uh liable for their fee the, where the where the the, the 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 client has to actually pay the fee over to the agent um and that is the point at which generally speaking the fee becomes liable to be paid so if you are selling your house and um, then somebody comes along, they, they've got the financial means to, to buy the property, they've made an offer, the offer's been accepted, they're, they're, they're willing to proceed, they're all there set up. At that point, for example, if you as the seller of the property would say, do you know what, I've, I don't want to sell my house anymore, um, you could still be liable to pay a fee because that person was a ready, willing, able purchaser. Okay. Okay. So, and this, this does highlight um, some of the key areas because um, as soon as uh, I am liable to pay a fee, okay, then it, it's, if things, I think things have gone, gone wrong, but I've still got to pay a fee. Um, I guess this is where I'd start to get um, tetchy. This is where I'd want to pick up the phone and start um, complaining back to my agent. Um, and, and this, this is quite complex, right? You mentioned that, um, uh, a contract with an agent, you you appreciate the fees or follow, but um, it has led to uh, issues with dual fees, doesn't it? I, I and this this was quite new to me that a relationship with an agent, if that came to an end, um, I did not know that I was still potentially contracted to pay a fee to that agent, even if I'd moved on to another agent. So I think dual fees is is an area where much clearer communication, I guess, would would clear that up. Um, but fees in general, fees, you know, explaining what the fees are, uh, when they are liable liable to be paid, when they come into effect. What 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 issues do you see here? Firstly, let's start with dual fees, and then let's work around fees in in general. Well, the first question. I say uh, to agents that they need to say to somebody who walks in through the door or communicates with them in some other means, uh, wanting to sell a property um, is the question they should be asking that person is, has this property been on the market with another agent recently, or is it still on the market with another agent? Because that's, if, if, if the answer to that is yes, 
then then there's uh, then there's a bit of work to do really because if you as an agent then take that that client on without doing any further inquiries then you're take potentially taking on a liability and and the and the client is going to then potentially be liable for two fees because if they haven't understood the terms of the other contract or for whatever reason they just decided to move on to another agent um, then that's going to leave them potentially liable for two fees so it's really important not just for the agent to communicate properly but also for the clients to to communicate properly and so there's an opportunity there for agents to to explain to the client to say look we're we're explaining all this to you but it's really important that you communicate effectively with us so if you're not happy with something that we've done or that we haven't done and, and you want to move on elsewhere then talk to us first communicate with us and if we can't resolve it then there might be a way around it rather than just moving straight on to another agent and then leaving yourself liable for two fees excellent yeah and conversation communication's got to be got to be two-way and if it's clear and if you set yourself up effectively then that that opens the door to that two-way communication and I, I i guess that that is even more important when we're dealing with say um a letting environment when that relationship is is ongoing so if i was buying a house go through the process and then live happily ever after but if i was letting a house the the communication would be far more uh, let's say regular um, and and longer term. So um, communicating around fees, for example, in a letting environment, um, should I be as a as a let's say I'm renting a property, should I just be reliant upon what the contract says, or is the letting agent could the letting agent do more for me uh, by clearer communication? Well, again, as you said. Nick, it's it's uh, it's a different scenario, different situation with um, with lettings because you have that ongoing relationship. You also have uh, often the relationship between three different parties: the landlord, the agent, and the tenant. Um, but you're right. You know, the the, the, the there are there are the, the, there have been a lot of changes um, in 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 lettings fees. Uh, the the Tenant Fees Act. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, restricted the amount of fees that an agent could or a landlord could could charge um, a tenant or a prospective tenant, and so it's really important that, that agents and landlords are absolutely clear on what they can charge, on the fees they can charge, and the fees they can't, but also crucially uh, how those fees are displayed, how they're communicated, uh, and and just to make sure that the tenant or the prospective tenant. Is, is fully aware of what they're liable for and when they're liable for it and how often. And, and it's really important as well when it comes to things like default fees or things fees if things go wrong, because that, I think, is where a lot of problems arise, is where the tenant may not have realised that they're liable for a fee. And um, if people don't know, then you're bound to get into a, a, a dispute about it. It's the fundamentals of communication that um, it's so the, the agent's got to be really clear with the landlord that if something happens or doesn't happen, then a fee may be payable. Yeah, I think that would, the last thing we need is those nasty surprises. Um, so, yeah, some real clarity around 
the circumstances when a fee is likely to or will become due. Yeah, that makes that makes that makes sense. Um, I guess that, that's that's just transparent communication. That's a blend of clarity and transparency, which which all all the way along, this is what we're what we're looking for. And one one area that does make me uh, smile because uh, I'm I'm not the youngest guy, um, and I've seen kind of agents um, advertise in of old. Right, the classic kind of this property or this room is compact and bijou. Um, let's talk a, a little bit about misleading advertisements because there might not be those practices anymore hiding a small room behind a very quaint 17th century word like bijou. Um, but what about um, if I'm advertising um, and letting the market know this is this is new to market perhaps when Perhaps it isn't new to market, or um, I've advertised this more than once, so I'm kind of inflating my market share. Is that good marketing, or are we crossing the boundaries here? Yeah, well, there there are an awful lot of terms out there being used by agents, by by estate and letting agents, and um, it's really really important that that. Um, where those terms are used, the agents understand exactly uh, what, not just what they think they mean, but what their their customers understand them to be. And so, yeah, new on the market, um, new instruction, these kind of things. We 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 have issued some guidance on 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 what we think these terms, generally speaking, mean to the public. Um, that guidance is 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 available online. And it's and it's important again that 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 you don't stretch these the, these terms. So so if something is new on the market, well, it's only going to be new on the market for for a fairly short period of time because after that it isn't new on the market anymore. As the sales sometimes, with if you're looking at estate agents, as as the the the, the selling process goes on, um, the the one the, the terms that cause a lot of problems are when offers start coming in. So an offer will come in and quite often agents will put something like uh, under offer or um, something like that. that and, and that can be really confusing to some people because they see under offer and they think, well, okay, well, what does that mean? Um, somebody's made an offer, has the offer been accepted? Or, or, or what's happening in this, this, this particular property? Can I make an offer on the property? Can I go and see it? Can I still make inquiries about it? You then move on to things like offer accepted. And again, okay, that's a bit clearer, but it still doesn't necessarily tell uh, another potential buyer what they can and can't do. So it's important when you're using terms like this to, to clarify them with other uh, other statements perhaps to say that if, if an offer has been accepted well at the moment the property um, it, it's still technically on the market but there are no further offers being accepted for example and that's when it's really important for the agent to have that, that crucial conversation with the seller because they need to be guided by the seller the seller needs to instruct the agent as to what they want to happen with the property so the seller might well say yeah I've accepted an offer but I still want the property to be marketed maybe not ideal and the agent can advise them as they see fit but unless 
the seller instructs the agent in writing as to what they want to happen, then the property's got to continue to be marketed. So it is really, really crucial that you get this right to avoid any problems with other potential buyers. Yeah, that's, uh, that, I guess, once again, it's transparency of offers. And it, as a buyer, it would be incredibly useful to know exactly what does that mean? You know, I've always looked at property and under offer, think, okay, well, that process is, is way in advance um, of where I am. So um, I'll steer clear, but, but clearly not in every case. There's going to be um, occasions where a little bit more clarity would have helped inform me as, as, as a buyer. Um, and I, I guess similarly, that, that clarity, that transparency um, continues through, um, through the land of lettings when we talk about deposits. So I know um, in sales, sometimes deposits are, are taken, um, but in lettings, more often than not, well, if not always, there's a deposit um, for a property. Uh, I guess clarity around how these are handled, how these are refunded or possibly re forfeited. What circumstances would my deposit be forfeited? Um, is this an area you think we could, we could do much better? Yeah, I think like, like everything, there, there's, there's, there's a lack of clarity sometimes around deposits. So with, you, with lettings, you, you, there's generally two different types of deposits. There's a holding deposit and, and the, the, the more formal um, tenancy deposit. With a holding deposit, this is something that people will pay uh, when they're interested in, in, in a property and it's, and it's there to, to secure that interest in that property. And there are certain uh, situations where that, that holding deposit um, should be refunded. And again, there's certain situations where it can be forfeited and retained by the agent. And those have got to be made really, really clear because, um, because people need to know if, if, they, if they're paying money over, what, what, under what circumstances might I lose the right to keep this, to, to have this deposit back? And again, with the uh, with the main tenancy deposit, obviously um, the deposits are subject to certain rules around caps in in parts of the UK, um, and it's and again it's important that, that people know how much deposit they're going to pay, and then when a deposit is taken, it's got to be generally speaking, it's got to be put into a, a tenancy deposit scheme, and then the the tenant's got to be told about the, the arrangements for that. But, but again, it's all about communication, which has got to be clear and, and timely so that people know exactly what's happening. Clear, timely, and um, not misleading, I guess. Um, if, and I think this is where uh, one of the big issues would, would arise, is um, clear communication means different things for different people. It might be clear if you're in the know um, but working incredibly hard to make sure that what you see as clear is not misleading for potential clients. I guess is uh, that's 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 quite a task. I can see where it's quite a complex process um, from start to finish. So I can see where uh, there, there's a series of hurdles that if we don't really think about our audience um, and put transparency, clarity, 
and timeliness at the top of our kind of communication agenda. I can see where we um, we might fall foul of some of the rules and regulations. I can see where some of those complaints might might be coming from. Um, before we finish, James, um, just one last one last ask. Really, is there um, is there a key um, message that you would have for for agents, estate, and lettings as far as communication is concerned? What's what's your your word of wisdom? Well, I think the most important thing for for agents to do is is to put yourselves in the shoes of, of your clients and, and your customers and try and work out what they want to, to hear and when and, and in what format. When I first started doing this job, I was going around to speak at, at um, various conferences and seminars and I told the audience what I thought they should be told and in the way that I thought they should, they should be told. But quite quickly, I realized that to, to, to be effective, you've actually got to, to tell people what they want to know and in the way they want to know it and at the time they want to know it. So it, it meant I had to put myself in the shoes of the agents and said, well, if I'm running a business and I know there's all these rules and regulations out there, all the things I have to do and things that I have to do. Uh, uh, and I need to know how that applies to me as the agent. So it's really important to, to, to understand the needs of your customers and, and to work out exactly what needs to be said, when it needs to be said, and how it needs to be said. Thank you, James. Wise words indeed. Put yourself in your customer's shoes. It'd be a good place to start. Well, as always, thank you very much indeed for your time. This has been another podcast in conversation with the National Trading Standards Estate and Letting Agency team. And we've had the pleasure of the company of James Munro. Thank you, James. And watch this space for another upcoming podcast.